We would like to acknowledge that this podcast meeting is being held on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we would like to pay respect to their eldest past, present and emerging and their multiple birth parents with children with disabilities. And this week we're speaking to Naz Campanella, the National Disability Affairs Reporter for the ABC. This podcast contains truth, laughter and the occasional F word, so it's not really suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Mandy. Hello, Kate. Here we come from freezing cold Melbourne. One day we're going to say it's sunny and warm, but not today. Not today. No, it's for those of you who are not in Melbourne, it's supposed to be a top of 11 today and it's November. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently there's 50 centimetres of snow forecast for the hills. Yes, I've seen the snow. My goodness. Anyway, it's spring, (laughs) we think. Yeah. (laughs) We have to go back to the indigenous seasons. Yes, that's right. Much that's better. right. Yep, yep. So anyway, we're here, but we're very excited very today. Very excited. I guess. So um, would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? Naz, would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? <laughs> it would help if I could find the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> hello, I'm Naz uh, Campanella and I'm very happy to be here with Mandy and Kate. Oh, we're super excited. I've listened to Naz's voice for a long time, as everyone knows who listens to this podcast. I'm a Triple J tragic. So, yes, I have listened to her beautiful voice for years. But she doesn't do the news on Triple J anymore. No, No, I did that for seven and a half years, Mm, which was, you know, a good time. But it was Mm. time to move on. Yes. Um, I'm totally blind and I also have a neurological condition called Shaco Murray tooth, and we'll just call it CMT for short. Mm. And basically, that affects my sensitivity in my arms, legs, hands, and feet, and affects my balance and my muscle tone. And that that's really it. Um, <laughs> more prone to falls, um, mm. that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, and I am the National Disability Affairs Reporter at the ABC. I've been doing that for about two years, but I'm currently. Yeah. On maternity leave yes. with my eight-month-old Lachlan. Aww. How are you finding maternity leave? I'm loving it. Yeah. I wish I wish I could say that I was missing work, and I think everyone's <laughs> quite surprised <laughs> yeah. that I'm not. Uh, I think everyone thought I would get very bored very quickly, mm. but I've got us booked up for you know. Jimbaroo swimming lessons, (laughs) music classes. We have coffee dates with lots of, you know, our mum friends. Mm. Our house is always packed with babies now. Um, And so I'm finding that there's actually lots to do and it's lots of fun. And I'm just loving, I feel like he's now turned this kind of fun corner and he's got this little personality. Yeah. Mm. So it's, I feel like if I'd gone back now, it wouldn't have been right for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just I'm learning so much about him now. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've extended my maternity leave. Oh, ah, good on you. So how long are you having off? 
<laughs> I'm having 13 months oh, no. off, yeah, um, right. which is really nice because I feel like I've sort of been working, you know, full steam ahead since I was kind of 22 full time mm-hmm. and just feel like I wanted, I won't say a break because mm. raising a baby is not no, break, not. Um, but just something different mm, from yeah. the, the daily grind of news. And, you know, news can be pretty grim. And yes. There's not much good stuff that makes the news these days. No. And so it's just nice to have, you know, nursery rhymes and books and, yeah. you know, happy, happy things going on every day. That's so true. Yeah, I yeah because yeah. I think I know for myself when I've had a particularly tricky couple of weeks, I'll drop out of the news for a few days. I'm like definitely, oh, but you can't do that when you're a newsreader. Yeah, no, and and my husband is also in news. He yes. is the breakfast presenter on New ABC News Radio, and so not only is it my work that obviously comes home with us, but mm. it's his work as well. Mm. And a lot of the conversations we have, although we do try and keep it to a minimum, mm. you know, about work are about news and what's going on and, and you know, did you see X, Y, Z and how terrible is that? Um, yeah. And also he works ridiculous hours. Like we, we both work ridiculous hours. Yes. He's up at quarter past three. He's at the desk oh. at 4 a.m. He's on air from 6 to 10. Like it's it's crazy hours. Um, mm. And I, you know, before I had Lockheed, was working unbelievable hours. So yes. Yeah, because you were the um, breakfast news reporter as well on Triple J. <laughs> For, for, yeah, a time, um, but you would do, you know, I was working across lots of different platforms yes. and reading and producing and doing lots of different mm. things. And so, you know, you might have two 6 a.m. shifts on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday might be 4 a.m. and then the other two might be, a, you know, 1 p.m. So oh. your sleeping patterns were always sort of up and down. You constantly felt jet lagged. Yes. And so, yeah. No, you were prepared nice then for else. motherhood. <laughs> you know, it's funny Yes, in a sense, I feel like we were. It's not like our friends who work nine to five mm. where sleep deprivation smacks them in the face like yes. they've never known before. For us, we, we're we so used to it that getting up at, you know, every two hours when, when he was going through sleep regressions or, yes. um, you know, even now at eight months he's still getting up for one feed mm. between 1 and 3 a.m., mm. It's nothing for me. It's just <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. I just, you might be able to go back to bed. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. My, the problem at the moment is that I'm going back to bed, but I'm finding myself wide awake. Yeah. And so um, it's my time to kind of read novels yeah. or listen, you know, catch yes. up on text messages. So yes. I write all my text messages to people, but I can't send them until like at least now, <laughs> like 5 a.m. Um, unless, unless the people I'm writing to are also mums and it's on like yes. Facebook Messenger where I know that they're probably going to be up feeding as well. Yeah. Yes. Well, you yeah, did message right. us at 4 a.m. So. Yeah, yeah. You were- <laughs> and I was awake. So, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. See, that was on Instagram. So I was like, oh, well, you may or may not have your phone on. Yeah, that's yes. right. Like, yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, if it's a text message, I'm kind of like, I'll write them all and then leave them till 6 yes. a.m. and then just go boom, 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 boom. <laughs> oh, it's efficiency. We're all for it. Oh, yeah. That's right. And that's right. I mean, it would be nice to be able to fall back to sleep. But there's something about that 4 a.m., 5 a.m. feed that you know within an hour or two you have to be up. It's really hard to fall back asleep. It's not like mm. an afternoon nap. It's weird. Mm. Well, it kind of takes you, you know, 20 minutes to get off and then you're sleeping yep. for 20 minutes and then, you know, it takes you another 10 minutes to kind of actually get up. Mm. What's the point? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. What yeah. is the point? Especially if you're used to 
not sleeping, then you're fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I find people used to tell me you're just going to have to sleep when the baby sleeps. And mm. I try really hard to do that. But then it's like, when do you wash the dishes? When do you put the load washing on? When do you do everything else? So I do, I do try and do that. Um, but, you know, after everything else is done. I know. That's it's right. Anyone who says that doesn't have a little baby because you still have to have food in the fridge or, you know, mm. whatever else is coming and going around your life. So I think more likely you have a nap on the couch than actually go back to bed and have a full sleep. Yeah, I, I even just resting, like mm. just lying down on the couch for 20 minutes is just good enough for me and it doesn't even matter if I don't really fall asleep. It's just nice to zone out for a minute. Oh, I could talk about sleep all day because it's my actual job. But, <laughs> yeah. um, let's talk, uh, let's get to some of our questions. Yes, let's do that. Just because I want to hear your answer to Kate's first question. Yes. Okay. okay. So our first question is, do you have a favourite band or a song specifically that sort of pumps you up in the good times or gets you through the down times? Oh, look, we love music at our place. Mm. It's on constantly. Mm. I couldn't put my finger on any one type of thing, but for good or bad, I'm playing Lockie a lot of Beyonce. And <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> a, lot of, um, a lot of Lionel Richie. Uh, actually, oh. one of my favourite songs of all time is Dancing on the Ceiling. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, like so lots of Lionel Richie, uh, lots of something for Kate, old, oh, good old yeah. Aussie oh, band yes. from from. Ages ago, oh, yeah. um, I was listening to the Yeah Yeah Gears the other day as oh, well, yeah, which yeah. I haven't listened to in ages. Boniver, mm. um, but yeah, and we I listened to when I was pregnant. I was listening to a lot of classical yes. music, um, and there was one in particular, Yoruma, who is a, a South Korean pianist, and mm. I was playing really the same album over and over mm. again, and I'd loved it for years, but I was playing it to Lockie when I was pregnant mm. and I actually use it a lot to get him off to sleep. Yes. And oh, um, it's, yeah, he's it's really beautiful, soft music. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. You've, I thought you'd have an eclectic music taste and you do. Yeah. <laughs> we do, yeah. And then my husband comes home and adds, you know, beautiful jazz to oh. it, lots of Miles Davis, Radiohead, you know, yeah, yeah. there's anything and everything <laughs> at our place. Oh. I like it. <laughs> Tell us, did you win any awards at school? Oh, look, I did win a few. Um, yes, I, I think Now's a, your time to brag. <laughs> tell us everything. <laughs> I was a competitive swimmer, so I won, you know, a few few things in that. Mm. Um, I was ducks of my school wow. in the 12. Oh, congratulations. Which, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, which was which was fun. I got a Prime Minister's Award at the time for, for the HSC as well. Wow. Um, and then a few, like, a little bits and pieces, you know. Nothing worth mentioning. <laughs> They're all worth mentioning. I recently, I recently got um, uh, a, a cool award for work, actually. It was yeah. from the um, Australian Network on Disability and it was the, I think it's called the Confidence Changemaker Award or something ah. like that. It was the first one that they'd held and it was basically for contributing, you know, to, to change within your workplace oh. around disability oh, and inclusion. So I was a pretty, great one. pretty proud to win that one, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, yeah. Mandy and I stay strong with never winning an award. We, we get nominated <laughs> every year. And then we lose them. <laughs> That's on brand. Yeah, so we'd we're happy. very disappointed if we won now. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> change our whole shtick. Oh, we love celebrating mm. people that do win meaningful awards because that's, you know, that's what's important to us is mm. that they're meaningful and not trite. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, that's where that sort of comes from. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so 
our question is, our last question is, why are you a P or part of the P community? And you've sort of answered it already, I think. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a person with disability, yeah. so yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the blindness and the CMT. Yeah, mm. yeah. So when if we go back to your earliest memories, was the CMT a really big part of your life? Well, it was, but we didn't know at the time. So basically, right. I was struggling to read Braille. I we didn't know why I wasn't able to oh. read. It was just I was a really fast learner. I was really you know pretty pretty bright kid, yeah. but just wasn't able to actually read Braille and it wasn't until I was sort of 10 after, you know, a couple of years of struggling, having teachers say sort of nasty things Mm -hmm. about me being lazy, et cetera, that we went off and had some tests done and that's where it was discovered. It is, um, my my mum has it as well, um, but obviously she didn't know at the time. So it, it didn't manifest for her until sort of, you know, uh, 40s, I think. Right. And so, yeah, so so she found out through that kind ah. of diagnosis as well. Yeah. Actually, yeah. when you talk about school, do you were you in a mainstream school? What, what school? Yeah, so I've to? been to the whole gamut. I started out at a, a special school um, yep. and so went pretty young, to be honest. I was sort of four, four and a half. Mm. And, w- yeah, but it was pretty early on where the teachers – kind of encourage my parents to have me transferred into the mainstream right. system. Mm-hmm. And we tried a number of different schools in the system. It was kind of a slow and very gradual transition mm. from, from one system to the other and it ended up being the best thing for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And once you realised that Braille reading was going to be really, really tricky, how did you transition to learning to read? Yeah, so that was interesting because I was near five by this point. So I was about 10. So, you know, mm. more than most of them falling further and mm. further school. And the other one, you know, left the school, thank goodness. She, she was kind of useless mm. and not very helpful or supportive at all. And this new teacher encouraged, um, was really encouraging and supportive and introduced sorts, new sorts of technology like audiobooks mm. and screen reading software on computers and different Braille machines where I could write in Braille because uh. I, I knew how to write Braille, um, but, but the machines would, um, you know, spit it out in, in print for the teachers uh, and they would also talk. They also had like an audio component attached to it so I could hear what, what I'd written mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, feeling it. On a mm. on a screen, so that's that's how it all happened, and that really did transform everything for me. Mm. It I was, was going to say I that was, must have been life changing. Yeah, I was really not interested at school up until that point. Yeah. I was feeling really down and depressed about the yes. fact that there was clearly something going on, and no one was listening to me. Mm. Um, it caused quite a rift between my my parents because my mum was very much. You know, the teachers are saying we just need to try harder and my dad was saying, no, I think she is. This is just ah, not working. Yeah, but, I mean, for no reason. It, was, it wasn't that one was right or wrong. It was just, yeah. you know, I think sometimes you trust that the teachers oh, have all yeah. the answers and yeah, they yeah. don't. And, you know, no. when you've never had a child uh, with, with these sort of specific um, needs, I think you don't really know to trust your gut, no. you know, mm-hmm. uh, until until kind of until you have an experience like that. And then mm. from then on, you you know that you always need to trust your gut. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, and I think we're all programmed or conditioned to think that there are people that are smarter than us, that know more than us. And, always, you know? yeah. And especially people who are 
very strong in their views Mm. and a little overbearing, Mm. um, intimidating. You know, Mm -hmm. it's very easy to see that you're wrong and and they might be right. Yeah, definitely. Outside of school, did you have any connection with other people that were blind? Yeah, we went, my parents made a really big effort to sort of go each school holiday, send me on sort of family camps, you know, um, camps with other kids who were vision impaired through um, the special school, even though I wasn't going to the special Mm. school anymore, we still had a a connection with them and they ran camps for kids where, you know, we'd go away and stay in a house from Monday to Friday and get to go to the movies and do do work during the day, you know, you know, reading, learning how to sort of do things with Braille and, and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, the night times we'd get to cook dinners and choose what yeah. we're going to eat and go to the shops and, and it was fun. And we also did family camps as well. So a couple of times a year we'd go away on, on a weekend away and there'd be other families with, with vision impaired kids. Mm. Um, and I've, you know, I've still got some of those friends today. So yeah. it's lovely. Yeah. Mm. Important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, I went to mainstream school and there was no one vision impaired there. So I don't think in the, I mean, I'm older than you, but in the 80s, they're just, there was that just, they were all in special schools. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, you didn't have a choice, you know? No. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and I think, you know, I was educated from K to 12 in the the Catholic education system in Sydney. And at that time there, there had been no um, blind student who had sat the HSC or the high school certificate in New South Wales. Um, And certainly no one that had done schooling outside of Braille. Yes. It done before, i.e. Braille wasn't going to work. So it was, um, it was, it was just, you know, we kind of had to figure it out ourselves. And thank goodness I had incredible teachers and, you know, my mum was always up at the school having yeah. meetings and, mm. you know, planning meetings and all those kinds of things and chatting to all the teachers. So it was, yeah, yep. that, that's how it worked basically. We did what meet was your it like? She oh, seems sorry. pretty yes, we did. incredible. Yeah, we I came we came to your live show oh. not very long a couple mm. of oh god that was years yeah. ago now yep. pre pandemic mm. yes yeah pre pandemic yeah no no she's um she's pretty cool yeah she is which I think makes all the difference in life really yeah I think cool. and I think now that I guess now that I'm a mum like mm. I, I just know that if you know Lockie was ever to to you know if they discover that he has disability or, you know, even regardless, really, mm-hmm. um, I would probably take a very similar approach mm-hmm. to my mum, which is be completely present with mm-hmm. the teachers. And, mm-hmm. you know, she used to have meetings every single term at the beginning yeah. and the end because yep. she'd want to know, okay, how's this all going to work in, yep. in DT and woodwork yep. and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, she'd want to come in and, and appraise it or, or, you know, evaluate it with the teachers at the end of the term. And she was on you know, very good terms with the support teacher once we found yep. the right one, yep. you know, and and she was always there fighting for things and, you know, yep. there was a, a time I remember where some funding was given to the school specifically for me, my mum and, and the support teacher had put in oodles of applications. Yeah. It took them a very long time to put in these mm. applications and then I, I can't even remember what year I was in, so, you know, can't even remember the the school, whether it was primary, high school, whatever. I went to three different schools. But um basically the, the funding was going to be distributed among a bunch of kids. And mm. my mum was like, hang on, we applied for that specifically yes. for this stuff, specifically for this child. There is no way. And it, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't for her advocacy, yeah, um, I I don't think I'd be where I am today. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is powerful for all parents to hear actually because sometimes when you're in the middle of it you feel like you're annoying people. Well, and I think what's oh, I disappointing, yeah. what's mm. disappointing is that she shouldn't have to have no, done that. Shouldn't. No, There should just be, you know, this is the way it's going to be. This is the system that we use and it should be fair and equitable for everybody yes. and it, it should just be very normal to have students with disability in yes. mainstream yes. education settings. So mm. it, it's still, while it was great that she did it, it's ridiculous that it she is. had to. And I know, you know, through not only just social circles but also more widely in my work, I report on this all the time yeah. that this is parents are constantly having yeah. to fight for funding, fight yes. for inclusion, fight for access to mm. even the most basic of needs and requirements at a school level. Mm. And the, I'm interested, yeah. oh, sorry, Kate, just no. because that sounds like that I have to go through all that sort of stuff too. Could you, could you tell that that had an impact on your mum or, or did she just hide all that? Like some if she had some stress around those meetings and the advocacy. Oh, you know what? I had actually, looking back, argued that she never found it stressful. She mm. just knew she was ah. on a mission and she was like a bull in a china shop and just <laughs> yeah. did it and just thought, I don't care what anyone thinks or yeah. says. This is just, yeah. you know, I think, I think there were times where she got quite upset. But I think for her, you know, she never really showed weakness or anything because yeah. She just thought, no, I'm just going to keep plugging away at this yeah. and it'll all be fine. And yeah. I've, I've sort of taken that same yeah. positive kind of st- strength yeah. going into everything. I mean, I've had to fight to, to even get work and, yes. you know, be on school and, and certain things at university. And so I'm definitely, I've taken after her in that regard. <laughs> yeah, Wonderful. well, I mean, strong women uh, change the world. Yes, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah they, they do. really, really do. <laughs> so did you always know that you wanted to do journalism or writing or? Yeah, always. I knew I always wanted to do something in radio, I think, just because I'd grown up with it. It was on from the moment I woke up to yep, the moment yeah. I went to sleep. You know, I listened to whatever it was, the hottest 30 countdown yeah. at night before going to sleep. Yep, and, yep. you know, it used to be one of those annoying people who called the station all the time. You know, play, <laughs> Me too. Played in, played in all the comps. I remember watching video hits and I used to just constantly call the the competition hotlines and they were like at the time like the 1-800 blah, blah, blah. Yep. And it wasn't free and I remember my parents getting this huge <laughs> bill. <laughs> And to be fair, um, and I, you know, obviously hated them at the time, but I totally see merit now, especially <laughs> now that I'm a mum. Like they made me crack open the, the piggy bank and I had to actually pay the hey. bill mm. out of my, and I tell you, I never, never entered a competition <laughs> on that front ever again. Um, yeah. So no, I, I was always interested in radio. I loved the way people sounded. And I think what reaffirmed it for me or confirmed it for me was when I was a 15, I was year nine and did community radio. So my best friend mm. and I hosted our own program for oh, um, cool. a couple of years and yeah, I just loved it. And then yeah. worked really hard to get into the journalism degree mm. of my choice and yeah, did lots of internships during uni because I sort of thought, Having a degree is not going to be the only yes. thing that gets you a job. No. You can get anyone a job these no, days anywhere. No. Yep. So uh, basically did lots of unpaid work for sort of four years. And that was at not just radio stations. It was TV. It was print. It was, you know, magazines, the yep. whole lot. Yep. Um, yep. And then, yeah, I was very lucky to land the job at the ABC. It was a cadetship. 
and it was a 12-month, essentially a traineeship in mm-hmm. the Sydney newsroom. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky to get that. There were thousands of people that applied. I mean, there, there were thousands every year. There were 10 spots mm-hmm. that year across the country. Wow. I was one of them. And, uh, you know, I'd had months and months of, you know, people discriminating against me basically, yes. mm. um, getting me to come in for interviews. And I generally always did get interviews because my CV looked good. I had, you know, as I said, lots of internships mm. and things. Uh, never disclosed my disabilities, mm. but people obviously saw when I walked in with a white cane mm. into the interview rooms. And, yeah, that's when it all kind of fell apart, um, except when I went into the ABC. Oh, oh. yeah. When, yeah. When you, well, Sorry, yeah, I just think... I was talking to a group of um, employers and they were saying, um, you know, it's really important that we have people with disabilities working for us and blah, blah. And I said, and do you ever disclose to them that, um, you know, your workplace may have stairs or may have, you know, I mean, for my children, is it really, is it really bright in there? Is it really loud? Like, do you do anything to make it so that anybody could work there? And they said, oh, no, we'd never really thought about that. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, so interesting. Straight away that you're going for the job. They haven't even thought about, yeah, just. And well, some was, people can't even get into the building no, to do an interview. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah. Um, so when you say apply. it all fell apart, what, what were some examples? Oh, they would straight out say, how the hell can you be a journalist? You can't oh see. Um, or they'd just be really, really cold. Like you could mm. just tell they were just kind of going through the motions, like looking at each other thinking, let's just interview this chick, but yeah. like she's clearly not getting the job. Oh. Um, so there, there was lots of that. But, you know, that's okay. You'll even learn and it was depressing at the time. Yeah, it must have and been. it's it's been quite nice, I will admit, to now that I obviously am, you know, 12 years into into working at the ABC and have, you know, a a little bit of a profile and all that kind of thing and to have some people who, you know, offered internships but then reneged on it or um, organisations who, you know, didn't give me the time of day Mm. now ask me to do things Mm. and it's quite a nice pleasure (laughs) to knock them back. or (laughs) Take ages to answer them and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I would believe. Generally, so. don't hold a grudge, but sometimes it's just it is quite nice. Oh yeah. When when you were a young woman and you were facing some of that stuff, and you said it was depressing, what? How did you sort through that? Did you get help, or what are some of the um, ways that you look, were able to get resilient to some of that? Yeah, good question. I think you just build it over time, and I've had so much of that. I think initially having a really crappy support teacher who was anything but supportive mm. when I was first diagnosed with the CMT was that first kind of thing where mm. I just went, and I obviously didn't know it at the time. I was 10. What the hell did I know? Yeah. But oh, you know. I look back on it and think I'm not going to let anyone treat me like that again. Mm. And so there were lots of those little things, you know, just little little things that friends did or didn't do mm. or um you know, over time you just build that resilience. And in the moment, in the throes of being denied the jobs, I was obviously going home feeling very teary. And mm. But I think sometimes I also just thought it was funny. I was like, <laughs> what? why on earth would, would a group of people think that that's okay? Yeah. Like on what planet is yes. that okay? Yes. Um, and, and a question like how can you be a journalist? Well, You've seen the portfolio. I've actually, yes. I've actually done it. So, yeah. um, I guess I'd ask you, you a question of 
how do you think I can't? Um, And it was also just, I guess, telling of of the fact that they really couldn't, they probably weren't very smart people in, Mm. you know, smart, you know, Mm. in terms of their job and, and, you know, textbook smart Mm. and all that sort of thing and worldly. But also a lack of common sense Mm. of saying, well, there's a few ways to, what's the saying? There's a few ways to skin a cat. cat. Um, And you've just clearly been working in the same organisation with Mm -hmm. the same people, the same types Mm -hmm. of people, and this is why you can't think outside the box. Mm -hmm. Boring. So, But but the best thing really is to get through it was surrounding myself with good friends and family, people who did value me for me and, and who just kept saying, Okay, you know what? You don't want to work at a workplace yes, that treats true. people like that anyway. Yep. No, nah, yeah, really don't. good advice. Yeah. And so, how long were you at the ABC before you started reading the news? Oh, so I did my cadetship in Sydney, and then I went off to be a regional reporter in Bega on the New South Wales Far South oh, Coast, yeah, yeah. and was there for twelve months, and that was beautiful. And I did start news reading there. I had a panel operator, right, and. I remember my first news bulletin. It was so bad. I actually thanked people for listening at the end. <laughs> We've all felt like that. It's like, it's like our first episode. Yes. <laughs> my my now husband was actually there. That's where we met. Um, and oh. he was actually there at the time, like laughing, like, oh my God, you did not just thank people for listening. Don't do that. <laughs> and so that was quite, that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, so I started news reading there and it was just one bulletin at 5.30 in the afternoons. Um, I think it was four days a week. Yeah. Cause I don't think you did it on Fridays. Yep. And then, yeah, I had a panel operator. So I, all I had to do was worry about actually, you know, reading the news with the, with the little system that had been developed, which was basically, um, listening to the screen reading software on my computer with a little headphone and then repeating what I was hearing. And that's all it was, me and the computer, just one little audio stream. Mm. Then when I got the job at Triple J a year later and moved back to Sydney, Mm. we ramped up that system and it wasn't just one audio stream. It became four. And so it was screen reading software telling me what to say. Mm. It was a clock, um, uh, you know, counting me in and, and yes. counting counting down so because it's all very specifically timed. Yes. And then it was myself coming through the microphone and then all the little audio snippets of, you know, Prime Minister yes. and all, you know, different things that you'd play. Plus we obviously didn't have the panel operator then. I panelled myself. So wow. there was a lot to learn in, in those early stages oh. and um, it was it was a bit full on and, and I when I was reading a news bulletin I couldn't concentrate on anything else. No. I couldn't think about anything else. It was just... No. Yeah, lots of hands going everywhere. I know I heard, I think it might have been Ben and Liam that tried to do it, to read the news the way they did, and they could not do it at all. Yeah, look, a few of the the guys at um, Triple J over the years have tried. And, look, you know, I I don't think I'm a genius. I think anyone could, could, you know, I wasn't great at it at first either. Mm -mm. It's about practice, right? Mm. And so any of those guys could have done it. Yeah, but it was still funny and it was, you know, it was, it was great. Entertaining yeah, it was radio. really good. <laughs> yeah. but, but it is nice to be, you know, the only newsreader in the world, and I say that confidently because we'd know about them yeah. by now if yeah. there was anyone else uh, who was blind who does that live to air or who yeah. did that live to air. So, you know, it felt, it again, it was one of those moments where you sort of don't realise at the time until you sort of in it when people start ringing and saying, you know, I'm also vision impaired or I also have a disability mm. and this is really yeah. – um, 
I hate the word inspiring, but motivational. Mm, yes, and this yep. is really empowering for me. Mm. And thank you. And mm. and how else can we do it? And, you know, yes. yeah. people used to call me from, you know, I had calls from universities in the UK, the United States, New Zealand, mm. saying, you know, we've got students who are vision impaired, you know, um, is there any advice you can give or, or you know, me, give, not only give them but me as a teacher, a lecturer, yeah. and also just talk about the system that you use so we can try and sort of do something similar. So it's mm. then that you realise actually this is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it's super, what you're doing. super cool. Yeah. That's quite significant that yeah. people are calling on you. Is that sort of the first taste of being in the world of advocacy? Um, no, look, I'd kind of done it a little bit you know, all my life, I guess yes. I was, you know, in lots of little ad campaigns for mm. different braille machines and mm-hmm. different assistive technology and did a lot of sort of mentoring and, and mm. you know, partnerships and things. But then I could really see the impact of not only advocacy, but just because I, I don't see myself as an advocate. I'm a journalist of you very, very different right. things. Yes. Yeah, they're very, very different things. Mm. But, um, you know, advocacy means that you can, you can have an opinion. Yeah, uh, and yes. I'm not allowed to as a journalist. So, yeah, um, got it. you know, I still very much believe in, you know, the, the cornerstone of what I do is sharing a story, mm. but sharing, sharing all facets of a story, mm. you know, even the ones that a lot of disability advocates would not want mm. in the story. Um, mm. It's important for people to make up their own mind about, mm. uh, you know, how something is. Um, I simply present the story right. uh, in a balanced and fair way. But, sorry, to get back to your question, Yes, I could see the power of me being, mm. you know, uh, someone in the media with a profile mm. with a disability and what that was doing for other people. Mm. And it was it was nice to be able to provide whatever it was mm. people were getting out of it. Yes. Well, I think it's like everything for a lot of us, we can't be what we can't envisage or hear or see. Like we're like, how, yeah, how, exactly. how can I be a that if I've never seen anyone well, I mean, like me? When you think about it, a, a lot of people with disability, you'll, you'll hear lots of people say this, um, you know, for a long time it was just Paralympians mm-hmm. and they're amazing. Yes. I mm. like, love them yep. um, and think they're amazing. But I was never, you know, I swam, yes. but I was never going to be, you know, Paralympic yeah. swimmer. Yes. I, yes. I don't want to be a Paralympian and yes. other people don't. Other people don't no, and, you know, no, some do. But, but so it's good that we now have loads Definitely. of people that are, you know, in media, in writing, mm. in in whatever it is, you know. Um, well, it should just be I'm, representative. I'm, like yeah, and I met, you know, I met a bunch of people this week. I was um, hosting an event, an awards night, and there were some people there, you know, was, um, talking about a, a blind chocolatier in Brisbane and then someone who's blind who's um, a chef in Sydney and, you know, just all these different things that people can kind of have as role models. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have any. No, that that's right. Reflected, I, who, reflected me and what I wanted to be. Yeah. Children are lucky. Well, oh, I, I'm gra- I'm grateful that my children are growing up. Yeah, well, they stand on the shoulders. Of, yes, yeah. they do. That's mm. right. But I know yeah. even for yeah. my boys who are 17 because, um, yeah, one has autism but they both have really severe ADHD which really actually affects them almost more in some ways. And people mm. constantly say to them, oh, well, you must be really good at footy or you must love sport because that's the only people that you ever hear that are come out and say, oh, I had ADHD but I also I joined the footy club and then I was the most active player on the team. And then, oh, you know, 
Or what about, you know, uh, autistic people who, mm. you know, everyone just assumes they're amazing at math. Yes. They're going to be all engineers. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. You know, um, why? Just because three people that who were autistic that you met were? Like, I know. No, no. We're all different people. I know, um, really. And so I think for them still now, like we met someone on the weekend who said to them, well, you must love sport. And they were like, no, not really. No, we don't. Like <laughs> it's just such a stereotype. And I understand people are meaning well. But yes. it will be really good one day maybe when that all stops and people just ask yeah. them, what do you like? <laughs> and for yeah, us to exactly. learn as mothers, mm. to learn from mothers that have gone before us mm. so then mm. we can help to channel that in our children as well so that we're not mm, just exactly. assuming they're going to go down one route in their life. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Well, once you live with a person, you're like, oh, they're just that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it takes a little bit of that mystery away. <laughs> mm, mm. And so w- when you decided to have your beautiful baby, were you worried about the CMT? Um, no, look, it's it's just one of those things where, you know, if it happens, it happens. Um, you know, we also we don't know what causes my blindness either. Right. It, that is also genetic. My brother has it. Right. And so, you know, there were lots of things we had to think about. Mm. Um and also think about from my perspective whether I could carry. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, Sorry. I meant like your strength and yeah. Yeah. So all of that stuff. And it was a big thing I needed to really work on it before we even got pregnant. Mm. So mm. it was a case of working with an exercise physiologist to build up the strength in my arms, my legs, make sure that I could get up off the couch holding a baby in mm. my arms without using my arms to get up off the couch, mm. um, making sure I could actually continue to to get around on, you know, my feet while I was pregnant as my belly got mm. bigger, mm. Um, avoid falling over, which, you know, did happen. Yeah. Um, mm. But, yeah, I worked with an, with an exercise physiologist for about two years before mm. and I'm still working with them mm. because now, you know, Lockie's look, nine kilos now. Yes. Yes. And so so that's been really important but also working with a, an, an occupational therapist to make yes. sure that I was able to do all the little, you know, the nappy changing, the wrapping, yes. the, yeah. how to set up the room, what equipment to buy, all of that sort of mm. thing. So that's that was really important as well. Um, I wasn't worried about worried about it, but it, I just wanted to know what was out there in terms yeah. of supports and services, so we could put all the things in place, and I could do what I could possibly do to to prepare. Mm, I really appreciated reading that on Instagram mm. and seeing all that preparation. My husband is has a hearing loss, severe hearing loss, and we did nothing, and then we had twins. <laughs> and I just think the poor man. I would just bring a baby into him, and he couldn't hear, and I'd just say, "Take it." You know, we well, didn't have anything organised and I just, you know, back and I feel disappointed that we didn't put in any work or, or ask for some help about that. The other thing is, though, uh, I think that you can't prepare for everything. So, no. like, Lockie's, Lockie is crawling around now. Yes. Uh, having solids. I hadn't thought about how I was going to manage all of those things. I kind yeah. of just prepared for the very, very early newborn stage, yeah. maybe like the first three months, yeah. and then I hadn't thought beyond that. Well, that's all and you can so, do when you're pregnant. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't but, look and, too far ahead. And I think like like any person in any stage of life, you've sort of also just got to leave it up to 
to the experience mm. and see how it works and try mm. different things. I, I guess my point is you're not going to know what's going to work. And, you know, the other thing is when I was thinking about getting pregnant and then did, um, I very quickly realised there's not a lot out there in terms mm. of equipment. Most of the people I've spoken to with various disabilities or, or different kinds, not just the ones I have, um, basically said that they had to buy, you know, regular stuff from mm. baby bunting or whatever it was, and then just adapt, adapt it for them. their yeah. needs. So there was nothing out there for them, which is really disappointing. And yeah. there, there's no kind of, there, there is a lack of sort of support groups and parenting mm. groups for, for people with disability. Mm. I've noticed a few now. Um, I also, there was a real gap in knowledge and services in the hospital system. Now, yes. I was really lucky. Mm. I was public patient, very big Sydney hospital, the most beautiful team of midwives and obstetricians and they were very honest with me from the very beginning saying, we've never had a disabled mum before. Don't know how this works. Now most of them had had 30-ish years experience in the That is incredible. And and they didn't have resources. The birthing classes, the videos that they showed were not even in English, let alone things that were accessible. So what was good about them and I definitely had, you know, royal treatment was because they kind of said, we've got nothing. We're working from the absolute ground. Let's let's build this let's together. Learn, uh, yeah, yeah let, let's build it together. And I think that is why I had the best team. They just came up with a sort of individual care plan. Mm. Um, they put everything in there that they thought needed to be in there, but they also consulted with me very closely about what I thought should be, should be in there. Mm. And they used their networks. So I had one sort of high risk, I was in a high risk program. So I had my high risk midwife who, you know, went and spoke to her parent educators at the hospital and, and her networks to say, do you have anything? Do you know of anything? Mm. Um, and in the end, you know, I, I, my husband and I went in for sort of um, face-to-face hands-on kind of nappy changing and, you know, mm. how to bath baby and how yep. to do this and yep. how to do that. And I actually think every parent should, you yeah, know, disabled yeah. or non, yeah. non-disabled should go in for that stuff because doing it on Zoom just isn't sufficient. No, of so, and, yeah. and, you know, the care that I got, I mean, you know, even the smallest of things that people don't do, um, mm. my team did, you know, they and they had obviously told all the nurses, you know, when, you, when you're going into that room, knock on the door, tell her who you are, tell your name, um, mm, what mm. you know, ex- explain what you're going to be doing. Um, and those things seem like really small things, but they're things that people very easily neglect oh, to yeah. do, and in particular in the medical system. Mm. The other thing was um, I've often talked in the last couple of months about my cesarean and the experience I had. I have a real phobia of hospitals. I've spent mm. so much time having, yes. you know, going into theatre and all that sort of yes. thing. I was really terrified. It had to be an emergency cesarean because mm. um, we had a few complications with Lockie. And so I was terrified of the, I think mm. it's called spinal tap. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I was waiting outside the theatre mm. um, mm. to go in and the anaesthetist was just beautiful she came mm. out introduced herself brought the rest of the team out they all told me their names their roles where they were going to be what they were going to be doing asked mm. whether I wanted you know them to talk to me or or just all be silent mm. you know did I want music um they described everything to me when it was happening mm. why it was happening um and you know what it was the best experience mm. like obviously you know there was tugging and pulling and I felt like yeah, people were washing yeah. dishes in my yes, stomach yes. but um or in my uterus <laughs> but it was also just the most beautiful experience mm. and um my it's it's funny my husband always says you know he almost felt non-existent yeah. while we we're in hospital because 
the midwives, the nurses, everyone would just come in and talk to me and it was like he didn't exist. And yes. he loved it because he often sees, you know, he often has experiences where we'll be at a cafe and people will say, oh, what does she want to order? Yes. What will she have it, be yeah, having yeah, to drink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll go to a doctor's surgery and they'll say, oh, what's her name? What's her date of birth? Oh my and yeah. so for him it was really nice for them to see me as mum. Yeah. Yes. Mum of baby Lockie and, Absolutely. you know, he yeah. was just there as the dad. And as much <laughs> yeah. as our partners or whatever are there, they did not give birth. <laughs> so nope. it no. really is our bodies that we, it is. it's a crash course of learning how to take care of your own body while learning how to yes. take care of someone else's. And it's, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, you know, it was really nice. We, were, we weren't kicked out of hospital. I was there for four days before I had him and five days after. Mm, and right. it was all very much led by us. And when I felt comfortable mm. and, you know, just any service I needed was given to us, which was fantastic. Mm. Mm. Nothing quite like those first few days. I know that you know, you get emotional in the day three blues and all that, but when you first hold your <laughs> day baby, three, I was like that for two weeks. <laughs> yes, of I know. course. We like to minimize it as women. I don't know why, but yes, I <laughs> no, I oh got. I tell everyone, and my my beautiful <laughs> sister in law, my beautiful sister in laws just had a baby, and like a few days ago, and um, and I actually say this not just to her, but to everyone, like oh, so you know, to bring bring a box of tissues in with you when you yes. go and give birth because you'll cry for. Days, like yes, days and days and days. Dripping into the cornflakes, oh, tears yeah. dripping. Right. I was like, oh, I'll just eat them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's actually quite, and you don't know why, and it no. just happens for no reason. Like sometimes at home I'd just be sitting there like mm. having fed Lockie and he'd be asleep on my chest and I'd just burst into tears yes. and like just say, oh, you know, and it was like it was just, it was, and it wasn't even always like sad tears. No, like, no, of course not. It was mostly just, it was just happy tears. Yeah. Like it was just, yeah. Well, you're yeah. falling Over, in love overwhelmed. as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's you know, right. Yeah. You're like, wow, I'm falling in love with a little tiny human and my body was just cut open and <laughs> yes. I'm bleeding. I'm trying to breastfeed. And my nipples are sore and yes. all my hormones are everywhere. So yes. what, nobody knows what to do with those feelings. So, yeah, there is lots of crying. Buy the good tissues, <laughs> so on- the Kleenex aloe vera. <laughs> <laughs> and so-and-so is coming over in the house, isn't it? Yes, yep. someone's coming over. And, yes, yeah, I remember all of those things. breastfeeding the twins and thinking, well, if you want to walk in and see this, that's what you're going to see. I've got no top on. This is the only way yep. of doing this. So <laughs> this is how it is now. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. We have to normalise it all. But we do. You've written a bit on your Instagram about mm. now that he's moving and putting some sounds on him so that you can find him. Is that who, mm. who guide, who's guided you on that? Did you sort that out yourself? A bit of both. So we, so basically I I had um, an OT recommend a few things like squeaky shoes and, Mm. you know, you could put a bell on him and, you know, friends have all said, you know, you can put a bell on him, that kind of thing. But we are still in regular contact with our sort of, what are they called? Family, child, early childhood the community nurse child thing. Yep. Yeah, that who and ours um, is just a godsend. She's amazing, and mm, right. we. Uh, I was talking to her about it, and she actually suggested these little toys that rattle. And so you know, there's like a little hippo and a cow, I think, yes. and you can pop them on his wrists and his, and his ankles. Oh, yes. And he, yeah, and he thinks they're really fun because you know yeah. they're animals, and he plays around with them. And um, I can hear him, but also to be fair. Uh, we've got timber floorboards. We yeah. don't have carpet at all. So I hear him. Yeah. Like I can yeah. hear his hands and feet tapping along the. Babies are noisy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And he's actually incredibly vocal. I think <laughs> because, well, look, I mean, let's face it, you know, the son of a, two journalists, he was yeah. never going to be quiet. But, <laughs> but to, um, I think because, because I don't, I can't make eye contact with him. I've tried really hard to be very vocal yeah. and to talk to him constantly, even about nothing. Like oh, even yeah. if he was just sitting in a little rocker yeah. next to me while I washed the dishes, I would just talk to him about what yes. I was washing in the sink. Yeah, yeah. Like, Beautiful. So that he constantly heard my voice yeah. because I sort of had to compensate for, for not being able to do mm you know, other things. And so I think because of that, he's really vocal. So he's yes. he's not a quiet kid anyway. The only <laughs> time he has been quiet, I put him down for two seconds in his room, went to put the nappy in the bin, came back, couldn't find him and got on my hands and knees and I found him licking the pram wheel. Oh. <laughs> Gross. Um, it's all good immune but, system building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, That's the mischief making but when I they're think quiet. Children, yeah. yes, you, yeah. if you if children are quiet, it is. I used to get an adrenaline rush. Oh my goodness, yes. I can't hear them. Where are they? <laughs> yeah, but I think um, you know, I don't, I don't think he knows that I can't see, but mm. I think he knows that mum works a bit differently yeah. to dad mm. and yeah. and you know grandma and, and nonna. So, yeah. you know, or, you know, grandparent. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and I, yeah, I think he knows that he has to make mm. sort of more noise mm. with me. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think, I think definitely. I remember all of my kids would respond much differently to me, to my husband and to their older siblings. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah I think we maybe don't give them enough benefit of, you know. And it's okay. always adapting. I came yes. home the other day and there was a big message on the whiteboard because dad had his hearing aids out. Are we going to eat the pizza down the back and watch a movie? Yeah. And then he answered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought, wow, they're just, they're always coming up with stuff in my house. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, even little things like Lockie, when he opens his mouth, when I'm feeding him, yeah, he makes a noise. Like he does this, <gasps> like, you know, he's almost <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Clever. Which, Sometimes he does do that with other people, but I feel like with me, he's like, oh, gosh, if I don't do this, I'm not going to put it in there. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and he, you know, he turns his head towards me or, or taps my hand, you know. Oh. I look, I don't know whether any of this is on purpose, but, you know, it feels like it is. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think definitely. it is. Yeah. It's communication. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And so when you go back to work, are you going to go full time? Yes. Oh, it's, you know what, once you do it, it's okay. It's just um, the thought of doing it that's really hard. I've had mixed, mm. mixed kind of responses from people. Most people say I'm crazy. Oh, no. But another group of people just say it's not going to be easy, but you just do it. Yeah, you, you don't really do. know how, but you just do. So, right being, or wrong? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you love look, your Look, we're going to try. And you're really good at it and... Wife. I do love my yeah, job. Yeah. yeah. And look, there is a, you know, I have kind of said to my boss, it may have to be reduced and we may have mm. to go to some sort of part-time arrangement. But for now, I'm really going to try and do the five days. And yep. we've come up with a bit of a good sort of plan yep. at home, you know, three days of daycare. Yeah. Um, Tom's parents will have lucky one day, my parents another, and I will start awesome. later on a Monday so I can still do swimming lessons. So yeah, yeah gorgeous. Yes, I'm hoping we'll find a, a nice little balance. I think you will. You will. Yeah, and it's it oh, amazing being home with the kids and amazing also working. Like both of them are just a really great time right. in your life and, 
you know, as women, we need our superannuation and we need all that stuff. Yeah, and and also I think I really want Lockie to see mm-hmm. that he just from a, a you know a male perspective yes. that he that he sees that his mum yes. is a hardworking woman yes, and that you know Tom's gonna um, probably have some time off yeah. when I go back initially yep. and be at home with him for a while and I think that's equally important. I want him yes. to know that Dad you know yeah. I mean Dad cooks dinner every night so that, that's nothing new but yes. I want him to know that Dad also cooks and cleans yeah. and looks after him just yes. like Mum does and Mum works just like Dad does. Yes, so. Yep. That's really important to, to Tom and I. Yeah. When I had the, you know, I've always worked with the twins and then they said to me one day, oh, did you know that somebody's mum doesn't ever go to work? Like the concept was so foreign to them and I thought so different from when I was growing up when nobody's mums worked. Mm. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it is and powerful. Yeah, I think so. And I think mm. I, I want him to respect that I, that I work and I work really hard and yeah. that work for women is just as important. That's right. Sure is. Absolutely. You know, we could talk to you forever um, and we won't, but we could. <laughs> is there anything that you think, I wish they'd asked me that question or? Um, no, I, I'm i just really grateful to share um, what I've shared with you. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. thank you. Super fan. I'm a super fan. I don't even make yes. any. Oh, thanks, guys. For a long time. <laughs> I, I just thanks, wanted to guys. personally thank you for coming to our live show back in yeah. 2019. It really was enormous to us. Personally, it was enormous to me because we had I had had some criticism for something that I'd said, and to have you come and to bring your mum was really it really made a huge difference to me personally and I just want to say thank you. Mm. Oh, my pleasure. I Look, you know, I'm one of those people who wants to come and, and support anyone and, and, you know, just see what, what things are all about. Um, mm, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, you guys do a, a good job and I, it's nice to be a part of the community. Yeah, oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Hello, peas. It's Kate here wrapping up this amazing episode with the Divine Naz. Mandy and I actually recorded this last November. I am speaking to you from February. This is the magic of podcasting. We had a few things come up that we really needed to get out and we were just so excited about those, but we're super excited about this episode. As I probably said at the beginning, it's been my dream to interview Naz. I have loved her, fangirled her from, for, from afar for a long time. So I have whipped down from the kitchen to record this outro. Mandy is probably making her own dinner as we speak. How many dinners? We don't know because we have children that like lots of different cuisines, which makes us very talented chefs. Anyway, there's no cry-laugh difference this week. We just want to thank Naz so much for coming on, for sharing her life with us. She's an awesome, awesome human, as you all know. Go follow her on the socials. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to us for yet another week. We will be forever grateful that you come back and give us your time. If you'd like to, you can rate and review, and we'll see you next week. 